Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Our country has sent you a clear message. Dream with ambition. Lead with conviction. And see yourselves in a way that others may not, simply because they've never seen it before. But know that we will applaud you every step of the way. Um, you know, genres like jungle you, you felt radically unprecedented. Um, they felt like um, there's nothing you could, you've, you'd heard before, nor could you have heard it before. And there was a feeling then of the future rushing in towards us, and we um, uh, being caught up in it. I, I think that's almost entirely gone now. The, the, you know, the futuristic. And when we use the word futuristic, it's almost the same as the word gothic. It refers to an already existing and established set of gen generic protocols. It's like a font, like gothic font. It's not actually futuristic. It doesn't refer to an actual future or indeed a virtual future that is impinging on the present. It refers to a um, set of already existing associations, you know, have now been eternalized. The, the way to establish a lot of what I'm saying, I think, is, um, is a simple kind of time travel experiment, which is... If you imagine beaming back anything, any music produced in the 21st century into 1994, um, if people heard that music in 1994, um, would they go, my God, this is, this is inexplicable. I've never heard anything like this. This isn't even music. Um, I don't think anyone's going to do that. The, the, the reverse would be the case. If you beam back music from 2014 to 1994, People are going to say, are you serious this is coming from 20 years in the future? This, this doesn't sound that different from what we've got today. Um, and, if we, and I think that's, you know, thinking of that 20-year period uh, illustrates the kind of slowing down, a flattening of time that I'm, that I'm referring to. Because if you think back of um, 1994 to 1974, the vast sonic worlds that, are, that had been born and died in that period, the enormous kind of series of mutations that had occurred between 74 and, and 94. Or again, between 54 and, and 74, the, the speed, the rapidity, the, the, um, the, the efflorescence of, of, of different sounds, different sensations um, that emerged in that period. Since 1994, I don't think, you know, I think that that's flattened out. It's not that nothing at all has happened, but I, I think it's hard to make the, the case that... Um, Almost anything that, it, that, has, that has been produced in those 20 years subsequently was sonically unimaginable in 1994, I think. Um, it's, you know, it's a whole series of fairly logical extrapolations of, of propositions, of, of, of methodologies that were already in place. the uh, MTT podcast and we're doing a special on hauntology. Uh, so we have quite a few people with us today. We have um, uh, Gavrilo, uh, Matthew, Sean and Maggie. 
and myself to discuss the topic. So um, I don't know if anyone wants to jump in. So w- welcome, everyone, for a first start. Welcome. Hello. Thank Hi, you. Thank thanks. you. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. So I guess hauntology. So what is hauntology? Doesn't anyone have a, a good try at sort of defining or explaining what their understanding of it is? In basic terms, hauntology is the nostalgia for lost futures. It's uh, it's sort of not the nostalgia for the past as much as it is for the nostalgia for a future that existed in the past, if you understand me. Since uh, in contemporary capitalism, you sort of don't uh, have the notion of a future in the same sense that it existed before. Because... Uh, culture and uh, ideology itself is pretty postmodern. Everything is in the now. Everything, like, uh, is subjective. So, you have a loss, a loss of any sort of objective narrative, if you understand me. And a future mm. that applies to any sort of society will always be, like, an objective narrative. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. But it is, you know, always an objective narrative. In the 80s, you had, like, sort of the space age. You had the the objective narrative of the time was futurism. Like, okay, so we have the space race. We're going to go to the future. Uh, we're going to go to space. We're going to explore distant stars. You don't have that anymore. So people mm. are sort of uh, longing for this future that doesn't exist anymore. And mm-hmm. since you don't have future uh, I- tomorrow, if you can understand me, people are looking f- for future in yesterday. So they're actually returning to like the 80s, 70s, 60s to find a future that they don't have now. I see. Uh, I okay, would, so, um, so, yeah, go ahead. I would just tell and uh, add to it, basically. We're promised the Jetsons. Um, yes. as propaganda over communism because the communists, you know, sci-fi and communism go hand in hand because there's always a future to strive towards. In capitalism, that used to be promised. Now it's problem, problematized and it becomes a more subjective thing like you're saying too because we have nothing to look forward to really. They're, they're just kind of uh, running on a treadmill to nowhere and that's probably why you get the, uh, well now I'm dipping into the art already, but that's why you get the infinite mm. loop towards the horizon with the 80s aesthetics. So we're yes. promised something mm. and, and the Jetsons that will never become possible. Mm. 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 So I guess in a sense, I mean, this specific thing of ontology in, in its current form, at least, is something that starts when? In the 90s? Starts in the early 2000s? Because if it's referencing 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s uh, to a promised future, uh, I assume then it begins as a trend in the 90s and early 2000s? Late, uh, mm. late 80s, early 90s, the end of the Soviet Union, the end of history. Yeah, it's, it's well, tied yeah, that's, to that's like uh, Fukuyama, you know, his notion yeah, of the yeah, end of history. You, you can't really have an, uh, the death of a future without the end of history, if you understand what I mean. Like, mm. I would say it starts in the 90s because you lose that overarching narrative. Like, uh, the last block, you know, on a world, world scale that actually had an overarching narrative was the, like, Eastern bloc, the socialist bloc. Mm. 
Before you had the same in the capitalist bloc, but it sort of deteriorated after the end of the Cold War. So you mm -hmm. have a loss of any wider nar narrative. Every narrative becomes subjective and all the futures become subjective. But because, you know, you live so precariously in capital, even subjective futures are threatened. Like you can't really plan out, okay, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to have this and this job. When you work like six, mo six months at a the time, then you have to switch to another job. So mm. we have mm. the loss of a future on... Uh, the level of the subject and the level of like society, uh, you know. Mm. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I think you, you you've got some. I'm sorry. I can't find the words for it because uh, no, no, English no, no, is no, not my native language. I, I think it's it's a great great description of, of what's happened here. I mean, so uh, it, it is definitely tied to. Uh, the whole concept of, uh, you know, a specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism, obviously Marx's words from, from the 19th century. But, uh, yeah, it's another... like that, but sort of different. It's like the specter yes, of, like that, of future with, uh, is haunting us. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's very interesting, like, because no matter how bad uh, 20th century in capitalism was and the capitalist bloc, uh, it still had a future. It had like this sort of technocratic liberal future where like you were pro promised, don't worry, guys, just leave things in the hands of, you know, experts. And like the futurism were, will trickle down in a sense, you know, we will get the jettisons. We will like get this uh, corporate technocratic utopia where, you know, you produce so much that everyone is wealthy and so on. <laughs> Yeah, and you can lost that. In, in the specifics of, of how it also comes across, so the, the hauntologies has a, has, a, has a music effect to it, sound effect. And so uh, from what I've read, it obviously, um, in, the, in the specific sort of uh, details, it is something that it comes out of the UK, actually, originally, so the, the music ah, yes. side of it. Yes, yeah, and, yes, and it's, it um, And it uses, it uses, the way it sounds, I mean, obviously it has a particular sound. So from what I've heard, it's it's, you know, uses sort of um, a combination of like the crackling sound of a of a record player combined with techno sort of uh, techno music 80s style, and yeah, then it uses all sort of public public broadcasts about the future. So like, uh, it might be something from the BBC or from NPR talking about you know oh, the, the the computers will be used for this, and it's sort of like these quite eerie quite scary and, and you really feel that the, the haunting of, of of the lost future in in a sense these these extracts that are played i, I don't know if you guys have heard any any of this type uh, of music there is a band that does exactly that i think they might be one of the first that have done it they're called boards of canada actually yeah they're boards, the british boards of band. Canada. yeah i think they're british or canadian but doesn't matter they use the sound like from uh, the period of like the Labour government in the UK, like pre-Thatcher, mm. if you understand, because after Thatcher, you sort of go into neoliberalism and you go into the mm. dissolution of the future. So mm. uh, basically mm. the music that Boards of Canada creates is a nostalgia for, you know, that time when you had the source of, uh, of sense that things were going forward into some kind of future. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, everything I you said, point. everything you said was like correct. They literally used like the sounds from public broadcasts, mixed them uh, that mm -hmm. a little bit with like uh, electronics and music from the eighties. 
you know, mm-hmm. and it's all sort of like echoey and it, ethereal, if you understand me. You mm-hmm. have a sense it is really a ghost haunting you. I, I think uh, particularly, um, and I want to let Matthew talk for once too. Sorry, yeah, Matthew. Sorry. I, 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 uh, yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, and, and I'm, then, just, and then, I'm interested. This is fascinating. Hi, guys. <laughs> hey there. I, I think it's, it, um, it's always usually music as a counterpart to the peak capitalist period. So the 50s, I guess. And right. Uh, and the 80s. And so those two eras were generally like peak optimism for capitalism, peak counter Soviet propaganda. So yes. I think. I think in those terms, you think about what what was the vision being sold to people at that time, and it seems ridiculous now. But uh, then you but then you take that back into like an earnest place to where you're like you try to sell people on the emotion of that within the on on we I don't know how to say that word on we of of the feeling that we have now. So it it becomes this um, kind of. Um, Melancholy, which isn't the right word, but it's a melancholy. I think it's just right, you know. Yeah, it's it's this hope draped <laughs> in melancholy. So it's always going to be stained by what it isn't, and 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 that's almost just the way the music comes off right away out of the box as it is now. But uh, when you add the crackles and these other artifacts, it makes it seem archaic and like it's it's hidden in like a a. a, a Vault from like you know Fallout Four or something, which is pretty uh, ontological. That game, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's like there's a there's a past that we've not been able to access that thought we were going to be so much better off. But I think we're going in circles, which might be the point here of all this right. anyway. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think so. I, I got an anecdote I mean, to this that, that um you know obviously I, reading about this topic just before we we came into the the interview and and of, of a couple of days before this. Uh, you know, the, I think once you start looking at this topic, it becomes so obvious and so evident around you, all, all around it's you. It's so, everywhere. Uh, last, everywhere. Last year. Yeah, you know, definitely. So, so like last year, um, I, obviously I'm in Beijing and I went to uh, like a, a ball organized by the, the British uh, Council. So there's this ball way and uh, we, you know, all get dressed up and whatever. And, um, and the theme was the 1960s, the swinging 60s, right? So... You go there and everyone is dressed up in the 60s, uh, you know, so people dressed up as James Bond and hippies and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, one of the, the I think it was the ambassador gave a speech and he talked about, you know, the, the relationship between China and Britain and this bright future. Obviously, this was before COVID-19. So even that was even that's almost historical in a sense that the, the optimism for for this year. But anyway, um, any he, any he referenced uh, it's time for our own roaring 20s. And what sort of seemed obvious to me or apparent to me at the time was that that we were just stuck in references to decades that had already passed in the 20th century. So the only way that people could have fun is to dress up as a flapper from the 20s or reference the 1920s as the roaring 20s. And then wow. also we were dressing up in, 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 in an era from the 60s. And, and I started thinking about, I mean, what are the 2020s going to be like? Are we just going to have the same things where, you know, at Halloween, people dress up as the 1930s gangsters or hippies from the 60s, or we dress up as things from the 80s. It just seems like you, you will never see someone dressing up as someone from the early 2000s, even though it's, you know, 20 years ago. It well, seems would, that we have, that they're capped. The, the cultural references are capped and stuck. That's, right. That seems yes. to me. Yeah. Right. I, I would say that that probably is the case. Like you have 
references to pull on, especially since technology is kind of limited to the, I guess, the late 18, 1800s, I guess. I don't, I don't know when like they started making records, I guess, late 1800s. <laughs> but yeah. we're kind of stuck. Yeah. That That's kind of just automatically creepy as well. It's just like because we could access the earliest records to that time. Um, and that's basically when recent history starts to us. So maybe because it's just accessible in that way and we only have uh, recent history to uh, reference and pull on. But, but it's not just because that, but also um, the 1920s is also one of those periods. That's like, you know, the Roaring Twenties. And, and that's ex- that exactly where the music from The Caretaker comes from, I believe. Yeah, uh, 20s and 30s. Yeah. And, and so that, that's a hauntological period of time as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's dash dashed aspirations and hopes of a perfect vision of what the future would be. So yeah, it is that it is that, but it's not just because it's it's retro or anything. Well, which is a uh, which is yeah, which is sometimes what people think it is, and that's fine. You know, so I, I mean, I guess on one side, the only sort of issues is that actually my, from my personal point of view, like I don't remember what the eighties was like. I was only just like I was I wasn't born yet, so. <laughs> Um, I don't know if, if any of us can tap into or sort of uh, were around in the 80s and 70s to say, what was the feeling like back then? What was the world like back then? How did things feel when people thought about the 90s or the 2000s? I don't know if anyone, any of us can contribute in that sense. Oh, I can contribute something like I wasn't born there, but uh, then I'm sorry, but uh, it's very interesting. I mentioned before that like I have a sort of YouTube channel that is for my own country. And basically, I make uh, ontological videos for uh, Yugoslavia, ex-Yugoslavia, and it's it's basically uh, a local offshoot of retro wave. It's called Yugo Wave, and I mostly make videos. I don't make music. I just like take music from the time and make an appropriate video that like rises a sense of nostalgia and futurism. And an interesting thing I've seen because. Uh, I talk to a lot of like older people. I talk to boomers that were alive at that time, you know, when it was their youth. And at the same time, I play these projections at parties here and everything. And uh, the young people, they just get the sense of uh, futurism. I think that it's mm. at the level of subconscious for most people that weren't alive back there. And then like uh, they feel a sense of futurism and they feel a sense of nostalgia for a time for which they were never born. Germans have like a phrase for that, you know, nostalgic for a time that, uh, that you didn't exist in. I don't recall what it's called, but they have a phrase for it. And mm-hmm. when you talk to the boomers and they see Retrowave, uh, they're like, yes, it was exactly like that. Like when you remember back to the 80s, it's like that. Like, you know, when you put on the rose-colored glasses and, you mm-hmm. know, look back to the time, all they see is sort of the high-tech innovation of the time, the futurism, everything. And uh, Japan at the time was sort of a pioneer for that. Like, it is why they are so mm-hmm. overrepresented in the aesthetics of Retrowave and the 80s, because they were sort of... Uh, pioneers of this new technical age at the time they were seen as a futuristic nation if you understand me uh and that, hmm. okay and that's why city pop is uh, popular okay yeah yeah, yeah city pop yeah it's like japanese kind of smooth jazz i don't, I don't really know it's like funky i don't know what it is okay no okay, like okay. you can even see this in kinematography like uh 
uh, Tarkovsky, that one uh, like uh, Soviet director, the one that made Stalker and Solaris, he actually like when he wanted to portray a futuristic city, he noted that, that at the time uh, the Soviet Union simply wasn't uh, developed enough for those aesthetics. So he shot all of his frames that uh, were in a city that he wanted to show was like 100 years in the future was actually in Japan. Like he shot all of mm. his frames that were supposed to signify like a futuristic city in Japan, actually. That's what most people's vision of the future was at the time. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I, I don't know if, um, so from uh, Ma Maggie, obviously you're in, in Australia and, and I, suppose, yeah. I don't know what your perspective, perspective on this or whether it's, it's different where you are. I was just thinking about the 80s, and for me, the 80s was an awful, awful time. Um, we had Thatcher. We'd lost our government in the 70s. We had uh, neoliberalism beginning here. Um, we had Reagan. It was just really dull uh, culturally and, and what have you. Um, there were a few sort of um, things like the miners' strike, and a few bands, and I'm thinking Bronsky Beat and a few of the British um, ones. There was mm -hmm. a pretty dull and dreary sort of time compared to the 60s and 70s. Um, right. Yeah. When I was handed off from, like, my older cousins and uh, family members that moved on from uh, my grandmother's house and stuff, um, all the relics I was handed off were seemed like it at least in the United States, it, it had, it came off as just like most commercials for any place, um, came off as a really exciting time. Uh, I just yeah. want to like, uh, just a moment. Yeah, I uh, just want to like uh, answer your question. I'm sorry, uh, you're from Australia. What is your name? I forgot. Uh, oh, Maggie. Maggie. All right. Yes, Maggie, uh, I actually want to address what you said, that you feel like the 80s were terrible. I think that in the Anglosphere, the 80s were terrible just because they were like the onset of neoliberalism under Thatcher. Okay. Uh, that is why uh, actually most like uh, ontology from the British sphere, like from Canada, Australia and UK was actually made, uh, made referencing 60s and 70s. That's like the sort of frame of time where uh, English, British people actually like miss their future, if you understand me. Yes, yes, mm. yeah. Uh, we talked yeah, about I've, I've, like, sorry, we talked about, quote, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, go on. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, not, just, no. just, just cause, because it's right there, it's a, there's a quote about uh, hauntology in the British reference. It says sort of a, a nostalgia for a future that never came to pass with a vision yes. of a strange alternate Britain constituted from the reordered future of the post-war period. So, yeah, and obviously tying with Thatcher and obviously how Thatcher sort of uh, disintegrated or sort of smashed that sort of beautiful vision they had of, of something else coming out in the 80s and 90s and whatnot. But, um, yeah, sorry, Karen, Gavrilo. Yeah, another thing that I want to say about ontology uh, that is interesting, uh, you sort of, uh, it sort of fetishizes the moment just before disintegration. Usually it's like the last years, but stretched out forever. So uh, this, is, this isn't surprising because we live in a time where uh, the now, you know, the present is sort of stretched out, out forever. When you look to the future, there is no future. There is only present forever. And 
Mm. When you look to the past, because history is getting revised, it's always just the present, but before. They always tell you, like, capitalism was, you know, capitalism is just the natural order of things. You had capitalism, but in the feudal era, and stupid shit like that. But this mm -hmm. is, in a way, applied retroactively to uh, ontology, because they just take the moment before disintegration and stretch it out forever. That's sort of the ideology of the music. You can see it in Vaporwave mm. as well. You have like uh, this, I think he was one of the first Vaporwave artists. He's called Corp, you know, like Corporation. And he has mm. this album called News at Eleven. And the okay. whole theme of the album is like just moments before 9-11. And it's, it's okay. basically the world before 9-11 in America, frozen you know, before that moment. And the whole album consists of, you know, how that pre-9-11 sounded, if you can understand me, in the media and everything. And it even has snippets, literally, from, like, uh, TV shows, news articles, whatever, uh, just before they were interrupted, like, for the announcement, uh, you know, the World Trade Center has been hit. Mm. So that's kind of a recurring theme in ontology. It's basically... That frozen moment before everything goes wrong. I see. Do you think also that it does also go talk about just specifically the also also the collapse, also the the, the moment after as well? Because if I think about um, like we've mentioned Fallout 4, the video game, which obviously isn't the moment just before, but it's the moment after. So it's I, if I'm assuming everyone else is familiar, but Fallout 4 yeah, is, yeah. is a video We're game all... where you you are living in a in a it's like 2156. And the world has been destroyed by nuclear war, but the relics that survive, the buildings, the vehicles, the music playing on these radios, uh, the clothing that you can see in, in the sort of wasteland, as it's referred to in the game, is all sort of 90, is, is, a, is a futuristic looking 1950s and 60s uh, aesthetic. So uh, in a sense, that's I think that obviously is, is almost obsessed with the uh the moment just after that time is is well you know you're right though because it's 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 all of the things that exist in the game are the things that happen just before uh, the war and obviously what is left is just the, the, the you know, nuclear wasteland with everything that survived the second before the the explosion or between before nuclear war so i, I guess you're right it is actually the fetishization of the moment before um yes. collapse yeah. the frozen moment the yeah, frozen exactly. moment yeah exactly yeah. Uh, I mean, also, I think, I think, I think so about the other, Chernobyl, the other big... how that's a captured sorry, moment too. Everybody left, and and it's like a snapshot of the time as it was at the end of the Soviet period. Mm. Can you repeat what you said? I'm sorry, I didn't yeah, hear you the beginning. all the way through. Uh, sorry about the uh, uh, Chernobyl. Um, you know, everybody had yes. to leave immediately, and everything is, you know, you can frozen go in time. Camp, everything's frozen. The, the books, the pictures. Uh, the clothes, um, the, the architecture has stayed at that point, everything. Yeah, you're completely right. It's actually that's very interesting. Yeah, I think that's maybe a, a big, bigger trend here is that ontology is not a, a sort of a small or micro trend. As soon as you start identifying and looking for it, it's actually very it's dominant. So, I mean, for example, I've already mentioned Fallout 4, but there's other films like Ready Player One. But if you think about it, I mean, hipsterism in general, does, is hipsterism a form of ontology? It is, sort of. I mean, if it is not ontological, it is simply nostalgic. Like, when you right. look at contemporary culture, it is 
either it is either ontological or nostalgic in the very basic sense. You know, either we're returning to old forms or we're like fetishizing the possible future of the old forms. Mm, mm. I mean, also even MAGA, make America great again. That is that that a form of ontology or is that just nostalgia <laughs> again? <laughs> I mean, if you have, to, if you want to be anal about it, you can call it ontology, yes, because like again, it is a fetishization of like a future of the past. Right, right. Actually, right. okay. So this is one of my notes, and thank goodness you guys are talking right. about that because it ties into like these are my notes on ontology as propaganda. And I was going to get to that at the end, but this <laughs> probably ties in right here. All right, all right. Uh, as propaganda is it reactionary is it just another way to get the left folded into some reactionary vision or or am i just uh, that a, that a bridge too far um uh i can uh, answer like my views on it if you want like uh it depends like if you look at it you know in a like uh, hardliner sense that everything is in the past is automatically reactionary, then yes, it is reaction. But I disagree with this notion. I think yeah. that uh, we are in a far worse place than reaction currently. We are in a, a stuck in a sort of a per permanent now, if you understand. We are stuck in a sort of, uh, I used the word before, damn it, what is it called in English? Uh, I call it a treadmill. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it is a treadmill, but... Uh, crystallized, stationary, frozen. Yes, we're frozen, but that's not uh, the word. It's like uh, when you look to the past, you have the now. When you look to the future, you have the now. But now is like the moment, yes. Okay, so basically we're frozen in this moment permanently. And it might not be reaction. We're not moving back, but we're not moving like at all. We're stagnating, and I think that is bad. So it's beyond the notions of reactionary and all this. And, and I understand it as a critique to, to mostly capitalism of the false vision we were sold. And that's what it is, really, what yes. paperweight is especially is a critique of capitalism. But um, I, I just feel like you could get sold on that and then go for something reactionary in that. But I'm just playing with the idea. I don't, I'm just seeing it as propaganda how it would fit or not fit in. I mean, yeah, you could likely go into some form of reaction. When you look at uh, Western hautology, which is mostly like retrowave and stuff, it fetishizes, uh, let's say, uh, action movies and consumerism from the era, you know. But in an ironic twist, consumerism from that era was uh, futuristic in itself, too. Like, that was just sort of the um, spirit of the time, let's say. Okay. I wouldn't say I yeah. wouldn't say like it can make people reactionary, as in uh, anti-left, but I think it can make them complacent. Certain, uh, okay, you know, forms well, that's, of ontology. That's the problem with the uh, um, uh, Verhoeven, uh, the guy who did RoboCop and Starship Troopers, is that uh, his satire doesn't isn't could be read in one way as fascist with Starship Troopers. Or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Like yeah. how you have some uh, like right-wing Americans that fetishize Starship Trooper as some ideal society. Yes. Right, and then so I see kids going off and be like, "Oh no, vaporwave is just a cool aesthetic." And honestly, it is a cool aesthetic. It's just, I mean, mm. if even if I didn't know anything about it, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is just a thing that people do," I guess. <laughs> but uh, 
it could get sold as that on one level and then you could have somebody buy into it on another level and i think really good propaganda or this is me yeah me being a conspiracy theorist it could just be ideology (laughs) at work doing what it does or it could be a form of propaganda or both or neither yeah I think I think that's that's the well, thing. I, I mean, I I'd say the trend is so big though that it it covers such a large group of population that it that it seems to be a trend because of the current circumstances, the material yes. conditions, because because of of essentially because of the end of of um, the future coming from from the dominant or the ruling class. So neoliberalism ending the canceling the future basically, uh, canceling the Jetsons, canceling uh, whatever <laughs> yeah, else yeah. was was promised to us is that I think it isn't, um, I wouldn't say it's a, a propaganda or reactionary sort of uh, tool being used to sort of keep uh, communists or leftists or people with a sort of progressive mindset stuck in this sort of like, uh, nostal- almost like um, uh, a nihilist sort of like, well, we've given up, we lost the, the glory days of, of the Soviet Union are gone. So it's all over. So, uh, you know, we sort of wade in, in, in misery, really. I think obviously that that is possible. I think there's many mm-hmm. people that probably do wade in that sort of misery and and like yeah, uh, I agree, lost definitely. hope. But I, but I think the the trend is is beyond just leftists. This is this is something that is bigger than it's 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 a, it's a, it's coming from the entirety of, of of our culture of 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 dominant Western culture. But um yeah, sorry, I want to bring in. I mean, I know that Matthew makes music, so I, I want to hear what his thoughts are on yeah. on this and see see what he has to say. Okay, so so we 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 recreate the past, right? And this is this is a problem from like I think like a cultural perspective, because every culture, even like the ancient cultures or whatever, are dependent upon uh, new forms within the culture to uh, how do I put it? Like recreate itself, if that makes sense. Um, and we're All right. and we're stuck in this cycle of reproducing, like not even just with like just like underground hauntology, but I mean like even in like the cultural mainstream. Oh yeah, like you look and like right. yeah, like you look and like every movie's a remake of some old thing we have. Uh, every single aspect of our present is dependent upon this recreated. Uh, moments of the time before, right? You see it like even in like mainstream pop artists, like uh, I would say like Lana Del Rey. If you guys know, mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. she borrows a lot of her aesthetic from like the fifties and the sixties, and even her music does like kind of have like a haunting feel to it, I which guess, is um, kind of interesting. The Arctic Monkeys and Coldplay yeah. would be a, uh, Mark Fisher's examples. Uh, I can relate to this, uh, yeah. like, if you want, because I have something to say about this. You're completely correct. Uh, basically, all media we are producing right now is either nostalgic or hauntological. But you have two levels of uh, nostalgia or hauntology. You basically have uh, actually two levels of nostalgia. You have, like, uh, the nostalgia of aesthetics, which is it just looks, it sounds, it smells like the old thing, you know? But... Uh, the, the nostalgia on the aesthetic level is pretty prevalent, but it isn't as relevant to this conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. While the formal nostalgia is also in everything, but it is far more important. Now, what does formal nostalgia mean? It means we're returning to prior forms of something. We're making music 
like we were making in the past. Basically, we are unable to prevent, uh, we're unable to like move forward. We're unable to create something new. And in an ironic sense, this end of history, it is not just like an ideological concept that uh, has uh, taken root in human relations and like political relations, it has taken hold in our very culture as well. Because uh, we are unable to move forward to the future musically either. We can only dig through the past or we can like live in the present. Well, and the present is constant, uh, constructed from the past. Oh, so uh, the just let me... God, just one Okay, okay. Uh, it's yeah. important to note, like, uh, as I mentioned, you have formal nostalgia. Uh, this means that basically all contemporary media is constructed of formal media. We are basically uh, cycling in a circle, as Matt said. Uh, so basically, uh, you can look at some of contemporary music and it sounds just like uh, recycled trap music. From before, and when you listen to the trap music, it is recycled drum and bass from before, etc., etc. You know, it just goes, mm. and you can listen, and it sounds very similar to some other things you have might have listened to a few years ago. This is what they mean mm. by formal nostalgia. Now, this is the like, uh, this is the example in music, but you also have the example in cartoons and video games as well. As far as video mm. games go, I don't have to mention like the trend of all these, like, uh, retro video games and the yeah, rehashes that is happening. Yeah. Like, not just follow. And also rebranding. Just rebranding as well. I mean, yeah, like, when they release Call of Duty for Modern Warfare, yeah. but it's the it's the re-digitized version of the one that they released 12 years ago. It's just, the same just fucking game the, over and over. The same thing. You also have, game. like, games like <laughs> Wasteland, which... You know, they just took a prehistoric game, one from the 90s, one that fucking Fallout 1 was based on, actually, and they're, like, making Wasteland 2, Wasteland 3, etc. And you have also a return of, like, um, what are those called? Isometric RPGs. You have a return of isometric RPGs, such as Baldur's Gate, in Pillars of Eternity, for an example. Mm -hmm. They're just rehashing old models, you know, it, uh, it's right. formalized nostalgia. I think well, there's one uh, a counter argument to that, which is comes in the form musically as dubstep, which is interesting. At this point, we don't have the actual infrastructure, though, to really produce anything new as a society. Well, yeah, as a society, yes. economically, we're stuck at a stalemate, and we don't have a way of producing any new technologies. We don't have a way of really feasibly getting to Mars. Maybe eventually slowly it'll trickle forward but uh as as it stands now the momentum we had through the cold war isn't going to last we don't have the ideological counterpart to um fight against to fuel that uh fuel a state to 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 invest in a state that will do that kind of thing which is necessary to even conduct this so of course mm -hmm. our culture our culture will also reflect that and trickle to a halt to, in some ways I thought we, we won't get a dubstep every now and here and there, I guess. Well, I, I, I guess I should sort of ask everyone. I mean, do it has have we seen sort of what, what are the new things? Have we had anything new come out of sort of after 1991, after Francis Fukuyama, like with the with the sort of in this ontological phase that we're in now? What new things do we have? I mean, like, yes, I can think of like 
sort of some minor sort of, uh, I suppose, superficial things where you've got iPhones and we have, um, you know, cars. But but even something like a Tesla, which is, I, I guess, mm. if I think of something that represents the future, like you have, you know, Elon Musk and his Teslas, right? Which they are, you know, great vehicles. But even that is drawing on the yeah, past. I, I mean, think the name it's of the like company a is Tesla. What's that, yeah. sorry? I think that's a farce, like presenting that as futurism, if you ask me, because it isn't the creation of something new. Sure, it is great. It is innovation on a pre-existing form, which is, you know, vehicle transport cars, but it's not exactly like the Jettisons flying cars or like the space race, race, which we had like 40 years ago. Right, definitely. But and, and even that, it draws on. I mean, I assume the name Tesla is drawing on from Nikolai Tesla, from the, yeah, the guy, yeah. who, you know, the engineer. So even that has, has got a point, a form of ontology in it. But well, I, I guess, yeah, again, I'll ask you guys, so what, what, what there, kind of things have we well, there, seen? Also, we haven't, we haven't discussed postmodernism. So well, where does postmodernism fit? Well, in? this stems from postmodernism, I think. But uh, yes. to answer the thing that you were just saying, though, um, there is a rhetorical answer in the form of a flying car in outer space that Elon Musk put out there. And I think that was spurred <laughs> by by his uh, debate between uh, Peter uh Gabe, Gaber, Pete Gaber, uh, the guy who wrote the book um, uh, "Dead End Jobs" or something like that, or uh, mm-hmm. "Bullshit Jobs," uh, yeah, uh, and uh, his debate with Elon Musk's partner Peter Thiel, who's trying to give an argument, a coherent argument about why we don't have flying cars or and whatnot. And I think he lost that um, <laughs> debate, but but I didn't know that, I didn't know that was the context, but that was quite a quite a stunt, right? So they, they put his. Is Tesla is now in space? It's a flying car in space. That's playing. Exactly. It's apparently still playing David Bowie's "Life on Mars" on loop. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the kind of rhetorical stunts that we could expect. They're going to mm. sell us and keep on selling us on some abstract and problematized and defined. I think the car in space stunt and things like that are vulgar. Uh, like in totality, I view uh, Elon Musk as a vulgar futurist because he simply ties uh, the futurism to his technology. While futurism, when you look at its origins in the 20s and 30s and the shape it had taken like during the 20th century was anything but vulgar. Futurism was a humanist ideology that pervaded both the capitalist and the communist world. And basically, when you look at the visions of futurism, it includes sort of an entire humanity unified. Even like when you looked at the capitalist and communist bloc, you didn't have like, oh, communists in space or capitalists in space. No, you had humanity in space. It was always humanity in space. You always had like, uh, you know, Africans next to Asians next to Europeans you know, in unity, uh, uh-huh. facing the final frontier. And this humanist ideology is gone. It has been reduced to iPhones, uh, cars in space, and like, uh, you know, uh, tourist tourist uh, flight missions to the moon, as Elon Musk mm-hmm. is planning. It is just like the destruction of these uh, sort of futurist virtues that existed at the time. It is completely war- vulgar. That's like uh, why I don't uh, accept this as a futurism oh. sort of. But I wanted to add one thing just before we lose track, because you asked like what new things did we have? We had the internet, yes. which is extremely significant. Like it, it was basically the death pang of futurism. It's basically the last breath of futurism. It's uh, 
the last idea we sort of had of futurism was this internet. And what is extremely futuristic is that now we are interconnected more than ever. Like, uh, this is a very significant change. And it isn't just a novelty, like, look, I have an iPhone or we have a car in space. It has changed the fabric of our very lives, at least in developed countries that are interconnected as much as they are. But I suppose this is a good example of this moment right now, just, just to butt in, is, uh, you know, this entire operation right now, we are we're conducting this interview as if we're sat around a table and yes. one of us is in Australia, one of us is in China, one of us is in Serbia, two of us in America. So <laughs> I, I guess we shouldn't be too, we shouldn't be too, uh, 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 I guess, negative about this future that was never promised. There obviously have been some things that are quite amazing. Yes, absolutely. But with what we can do that is amazing, we're still doing, I mean, it's still just used for internet porn. It's still just used for uh, <laughs> memes, you know, I mean. It, it, we are our cap. Our vision is really truncated by our ability to um, envision it. I guess, which is, yeah, which is undermined by our ability to even build it. So it goes back to the structural things there. But I would say to Elon Musk, uh, you say bad futurist, and I say uh, genius marketer. You know. All right, he is a good marketer. I don't <laughs> like. I don't disagree with that, but. I still call him a bad futurist. He can be both. He can be a genius marketer and a bad futurist. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They don't necessarily contradict so each like, other. But um, it's a, oh, someone so says like, me. I, I, yeah. I, I wanna, I wanna like, yeah, I wanna like ask the group a question. So we're talking about like our vision of the future, right? And like from my perspective, like I grew up basically in like post 9-11 reality, right? Like I was in second grade when 9-11 happened, you know, just a little perspective. Yeah. I'm 20 mm. something, I think like, so like, <laughs> and basically my entire life, uh, as like a waking adult that I can remember, I can see the future as like a degenerative, like phenomenon really, especially with like, uh, like problems like the eco crisis, and, uh, you know, even now with like uh, uh, the looming uh, pandemic that like has changed like our lives, like completely, at least for like me or whatever. Yeah, so like, yeah. what do you guys think of like actually when you think about the future? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll see when someone else goes first. Uh, everyone, Maggie wants to go first, maybe? I'm just thinking about the internet having its origins in the military too, as a form of decentralized communication. Um, yes, I think that needs to be remembered. You know, as a you know, yes, we can play with it too, but um, <laughs> it's not just the cat memes. You know. Sure. And what what do you think about the future? Uh, so, what what vision do you see, though? Or sort of, what does it look like to you? The internet. Or no, the future, uh, an idea of the future, vision of the future. Right. Yeah. Um, yes, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a bit worried about the ecology, the planet itself. Um, I don't, I, that needs a, um, what's the word, a, a unified approach to to it. We don't have that far from it. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, okay. I, I think uh, I look at the future and I thought, I think this goes back to 2012, 20, 2009, actually, um, where there's a lot of hope placed in um, uh, contour printers or what is it, 3D printers? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and we had rep reps, you know, in 2008, 2009, uh, probably before that, which are self-replicating uh, 3D printers, 
But the weird thing is, like, the it so, somehow is still has not taken off, and we should be able to print our own shoes and our own iPhones, you know, in at least a few years here. But I, it feels like the technology has stagnated a bit. Uh, on top of that, we have Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh, options to get out. I guess this is a more of a libertarian wet dream, but, you know, it's the ability to escape being tied down to uh, any any nation and um, being able to act as uh, independent international uh, people in some way. But um, mm-hmm. we haven't been able to do that either because we are still tied down by really real limitations that the market needs to uh, impose on us for itself to be relevant and exist. Mm. Mm. Yes. And now, are you asking my uh, like? Yeah. Yes. What's your What's your vision of the? What do you see when you think? Uh, it's Matthew's question. So Matthew can ask you again if you want, maybe. Yeah. 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 So basically, like, yeah. So I want to know, like, when you think of, like, say, the world in like twenty years. Like, what do you, like, personally, like, subjectively, like, in your own spirit or whatever, what do you see? Uh-huh. No, like, uh, what do I see as a continuation of what is happening now? Like, uh, all these co- uh, conditions, not what I would like for a future, but what I see for a future, right? Yeah, what do you, like, actually think is going to happen? Yeah. Mm, so it's a prediction, right? Mm-hmm. All right. I think yeah. capital will continue to become more and more like deterritorialized. It uh, will become just like it will continue the trend of becoming more uh, uh, autonomous when compared to man. And we will become greater and greater subjects to it. Uh, like, And I think the uh, ethnic tensions of like uh, post uh, empires will continue to grow as like they have to basically uh, keep fighting their uh, falling birth rate by mass immigration it will just cause more conflicts because like these people that are coming into let's say the european union they are go- getting paid much less and are treated far worse than like the people living there these uh, tensions will just begin to grow. We will continue to lose more and more agency to capital and everything will become more abstract. Like even now you can't point a finger and say like, that's the capitalist. It isn't that simple anymore. It's basically a web of millions of shareholders. And if one of them falls, just another guy will take up the banner. And I think that will just intensify. I think Mm. uh, it is becoming a sort of... uh, strange gray mass that you can't identify anymore it uh, the socialist movement will be just more and more difficult like to realize you know i felt Mm. the same way as that and to some degree if i'm like being um you know real about the future what it likely is but at the same time covid uh showed us real limitations to just this abstract formless blob um, that they are really limited by our ability to produce and that ability to produce is limited by people actually having to show up to those jobs and in some ways um, tying those people back into the economy and into civilization itself. And, you know, you have to turn around and give some of that back to people. So it'll, yeah. you're going to try to get, people to escape this but i don't know if there's enough escape velocity to allow them to I, go uh, 
I'm not saying that like capitalism in, is indestructible or that it is able to like overcome any threat. Obviously, like uh, an international crisis or tra uh, tragedy such as COVID will shake it up and it won't be able to cope all that well because it's modus operandi is profit and like it it only plans short term. It doesn't really plan for these sort of crises. I think this crisis showed it because the Western world handled it pretty badly, at least at first. They were too busy like mm. uh, making propaganda against China to actually get ready for, you know, the disease spreading to them the, itself. Well, when you look at yeah. when you look at Asian countries, which actually have a more uh, centralized planning even today like even neoliberal hellholes such as south korea and japan they have a lot of planning in their economy and they have handled uh, the disease very well even china where it originated was handled well yeah not very well yeah yeah but i, I suppose you, you've yeah. mentioned the c word there the, the china word um so mm -hmm. i mean that, that is another something else i mean in terms of visions of the future um if i think about the only actual, so if I think about, um, you know, uh, what's his name, Donald Trump or, or Biden, obviously I watched the debate a few days ago, and I think about Boris Johnson or Angela Merkel or even Putin, um, you know, I don't necessarily, I can't automatically think of a future that they've described to me that seems quite different or new or revolutionary or, or quite forward thinking. No, but they're just I do think uh, about, promising the status quo. Exactly, exactly. So, but if I do think about Xi Jinping, I mean, straight away, Belt and Road Initiative is something that comes to mind. And if yes. I think about any anyone that has actually any vision for a future, I'm not sure if it's a utopian sort of humanist future. I mean, that's up for discussion, but it certainly is a vision which does sort of say, we're going to build a huge network of, of high-speed rail interconnecting all these cities and, and all these ports and all this kind of stuff. That appears to me to be the only sort of real grand vision, obviously for China, but that does sort of cover anything bigger than uh, than uh, a four-year term and a certain healthcare plan or a Brexit deal. Like I, if I turn to the BBC now and I look at the UK news, it just seems so tiny, so small. It's about which city's in lockdown and and the deal that's happening with Brexit and uh, you know the sort of tiny, almost day-to-day -day sort of like uh, movements of of a, of a of a shrinking world and lost stuck yeah. in it's stuck stuck in it's this post peak post empire moment and when i read people's daily or the chinese news or news about china it does seem like this giant force that's got at least some vision for the future and that's the only thing i can see for the and coming back to matthew's question about what do i see for a future i think that the only thing i can see is as a coherent plan that actually exists beyond 10 years that's that's also like known is the, the BRI, the Belt Road Initiative. Um, but also I just wanted to touch on something, sorry, I wanted, so there's two things I wanted to say, and that's the one. The, the second thing is, um, Sean mentioned something quite quite funny, I think, is we had all of these examples of, 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 of technologies that we were waiting, and some of them arrived, and I think Google Glass was something that I, it arrived, and people were wearing these little cameras on their little lenses, and and for me, I was, I think it was in high school when they came out, maybe it was, I think it was 2008, is that right? 2009, 2008? Yeah, oh, around like 2009, yeah. yeah. Around there. And I remember thinking, it was like, oh, the future is here. We, we've, we've made it. You know, people are wearing robot glasses and and now they're gone. They're completely gone. There's no such, like, yeah. people wouldn't even know what they look like. If you've said, what's Google Glass? I have no idea. 
So there's vaporware. But on the other hand, though, and then there's vaporware. There's vaporwave and then there's vaporware. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Nice. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think that in, in some sense, there are still small things which I do, if I think about whether I'm living in the future or if, if the future is, is upon us or upon me at least. Um, I, you know, when I when I use, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to oversell China and make it seem like the, a utopia in a sense. But, um, you know, here everything is everything is done on your phone. So I, I haven't held paper money or, or coins in nine or ten months. I haven't used them. I don't even carry a wallet anymore. And when I go outside my apartment, uh, I, I ride an electric scooter and I can drive it to the subway station or I can drive it to work. And uh, obviously the, the roads are, you know, uh, paved and sort of very clean and whatnot. Um, but even if I didn't, they have these bikes everywhere. There's like these bikes that you, you use your phone, you scan the QR code and the bike is now yours and you cycle to the, the subway and you get on this mass transit system. And so in some senses, I do get that feeling of, okay, this, this looks a little bit like a glimpse of what the future is or could be or the, that thing, that, that thing we saw in films. Uh, and then particularly the high-speed rail, when you, when you get on a high-speed train that is a big network, that does feel like the future. So combining yeah. two, talking about future stuff and, and what I see, uh, I, I, think these are, I'm, I think we're going to see more of these things uh, and I know. tying into the narrative of the BRI. But yeah, sorry. My, my, my cousin talked about going to China about five or six years ago, and they had like Uber Eats and all that stuff way ahead of, way ahead of us. But um, now, finally, I think if you live in a big tech town, and that's about... That's about the extent of it. If you live in a big tech town like I do, and you have to be in the city limits, and you have to be above a certain income, then all those things are now finally accessible to us Americans. But um, mm. yeah, China's going to continue being ahead in this area because they have what they have the they don't have the structural limitations of they could get their state to reinvest in making what uh, the megalev trains and creating um, mm. uh, you know quanta. Quanta computers. I don't even know what they're doing over there. Yeah, but. And, and I'm a stand for China. But the weird thing was, is that I didn't even factor China into my thinking about the future in this way. But uh, that might go to show you how the propaganda is working here uh, in some way against. That's, that's the thing. Is hauntology is hauntology more of a Western phenomenon than it is in other countries? Are we are we just stuck in our own sort of area? And when we're and only are we slowly tuning in and changing the radio to listen to what other, you know, what 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 do other people see? I mean, is it, it more of a Western? How you, it depends how you define the West, because it is a very big thing in Eastern Europe as well. But it is also necessarily tied to like uh, the, the utopian vision of dead socialism, you know, that sort of utopian futurism that existed before the collapse of the Eastern Bloc. Uh, mm. And I think... You have that, and at the same time, you have the standard, like, uh, Western ontology that exists here in musical form. But both are very popular and exist shoulder to shoulder. It is, uh, it is also uh, popular in South America, North America, Western Europe, uh, and I think East Asia, like, uh, you know, South Korea, Japan. But I do not know about mainland China. I think it is not that... Uh, way there, but I also wanted to add about China because you said before you are not sure if China has like sort of a utopian futurist vision, a humanist futurist vision, but it does actually because you saying I was saying the reality is whether, sure. whether the yeah. reality right now is utopian. I would, I would sort of say this there's definitely debate to be had there. 
Yeah, but uh, no, I uh, you specifically you said that, but you also said that you are not sure about their vision of the future. But at the same time, that China was far more capable of like uh, fulfilling some sort of futurism, and you're right. But uh, look also uh, at the very basic thing. It seems so simple, but it is very meaningful. Uh, when you look at the average child in the West, they have done a poll. They uh, want to be TikTokers. They want to be like. Uh, YouTube bloggers and stuff like that. And the Chinese children, they want to be astronauts. That's like their most preferred, you know, uh, wow. job when they want to grow up. That's that's like when I was growing up. Like, I remember being ki in kindergarten around, you know, 2000, 2001. And it was like that. We all want to be fucking astronauts. But that died, you know. Futurism died in the early 2000s. That's basically it. You had yeah. the death pangs of futurism then. But that doesn't happen in China. They still, like, uh, look at the space program very prestigiously, if you understand me. Mm -hmm. Which is sort of understandable because uh, their system of, like, uh, their system, both, like, economic system and government system isn't tied as closely to uh, capital as, you know, the rest of the neoliberal world. They are much closer to Fordism than neoliberalism. They're somewhere in between. And uh, because of this, uh, they still have like far planning and they still have like uh, a sort of humanism to their ideology, if you understand me. They still yeah. Yeah. like Certainly. put a lot of prestige in the space age and future. But I, I think it is much weaker than what existed during the 20th century, both because it is no longer a spirit that exists on a world level and because they are one country. There is no bloc that is, you know, futurist anymore. It, it's just one country. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So well, I guess we'll, the, we'll gather well, sort of... Well, I wanted to say one thing just about China real quick. It's just a, check out the movie Wandering Earth, I believe it is. That's, that's a, yes. like a... That, that actually scares me because it's like, holy shit, China is going to be the leader of the future. Not because I'm scared of whatever the Chinese. I'm just like, things are going to change drastically, probably in the next 10 years, 20 years for the rest of the world. Maybe not the United States. I don't know. Um, so, OK, so as propaganda, because uh, this is like my little corner of the obscure world here is um, OK, so. Uh, yeah, basically, is ontology just another way to obscure um, time or um, um, uh, basically, yeah, yeah, it's a way to obscure time in a way to disrupt our understanding of history and therefore historical materialism. And so no, it's a result of that. But okay. continue. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just wondering, because usually it seems like if you ever... Uh, obfuscate the importance of time and history, then you undermine the Marxist project entirely because then we have nothing to talk about. Um, yes. and that's what, that's what a lot of postmodernism or post-structuralists, I guess some, not all, but some have come along to do and try to disrupt that. And I think that's important to uh, counter communist propaganda is obscure time. Okay. Uh, look at this, it this way. We didn't get into this much. I just sort of mentioned it in one sentence in the beginning, but none of this would be possible. This phenomena wouldn't be happening if we were not living under a postmodern culture and ideology. Basically, uh, because everything is so, you know, subjectivized in postmodernism, 
uh, and because only the now exists, you only have the existence of like whatever is going on right now. You don't have the past or the future. Uh, sort of like reverse of uh, dialectical materialism, historical materialism is happening. You have like the disintegration of history. Uh, basically, society is becoming ahistorical. You know, history has lost its meaning. You can go back to history as sort of a, you know, trash bin and pick out whatever bits and pieces you like and use them today. It's meaningless because uh, at its face, we are told that like capitalism exists, it will always exist, and it has existed in the past. When you look, like uh, it is sort of a con uh, it's a sort of a contradiction because when you look to the past, now capitalism has always existed. That is at least what they tell you. You know, when you read uh, books, everything, that's the ideology of the time. But uh, this is contradictory, uh, and they tell you that. Like, yeah, things are sort of shitty, but they have always been sort of shitty, so don't worry about it. But this is the great contradiction, because people look into the past. Like, they look into the 80s or 70s, and they see that back then they had a vision of the future, but they don't have it today. It's sort of weird, isn't it? Like, in the future, you don't have a vision of the future. So, yeah, mm -hmm. this is definitely happening uh, because you have the death of a large narrative. Like, Marxism was a narrative movement. It had, like, the narrative of, like, the, uh, basically, history of uh, class struggle, if you understand me. You, yeah. like, yes. uh, constantly had the struggle of the classes, which was sort of like a rotation through history, which moved time forward. But you no longer have that. And because mm. you don't have that, uh, and because history has ceased to exist... Mm. You can just sort of pick through like the past and pick what you like, uh, like, and that's why we have nostalgia in fucking everything in ontology and everything. It's like you mentioned before. It's like people dressing like if they were in the sixties, right? You know, right. you you didn't have that before. That's like I think yeah. from the nineties onwards. That's right. the thing. So yeah, I yeah. think uh, it's not it's not an attempt by anyone. Uh, of obscurantism as much as it is a result of a society that has no history, no narrative, and, like, where history is meaningless. Like, dialectical yeah. materialism has totally been tossed into the trash, and this is the result of it. Because uh, even though uh, past, like, Western society was anti-Marxist and anti-communist, they sort of still adhered to a kind of historical materialism, if, um, if you understand me. It was just common sense. Most of the electrical materialism is common sense. But uh, today we don't have that. And because of that, ontology is possible. Yes. So, like, yeah. like one... Just to, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, just to add to, to, add to that, I mean, I, I guess in the dis deconstruction of the grand narrative sort of style of a Marxist view of history, of the dialectical materialist view of history, and the class struggle view of history, that, yes, like, the, the postmodernist or hyper-liberal or radical liberal uh, introspection, the, the, the constant uh, deconstruction of every single element of everything where, where it comes down to, you know, workplaces and then down to sort of how one sits and all yeah, this kind yeah. of stuff is something that also then becomes, it becomes impossible to build anything, sort of any, any, anything bigger than the self because it becomes automatically uh, an imposition on someone else's um, yeah. expression of self. So, 
yeah, this 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 shrinking, this atomization of of uh, I suppose what would have been in in a philosophical sense, the atomization of a working class or and of nations too, to these individual parts, you know, sort of and and a, a further expand an ever and never ending list of, of further subjectivity. So like a, a white cis man from yeah, this yeah. rural urban, you know, and a growing growing list of 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 details that that make you. Uh, unable to uh, to interact with others, to alienate him to yourself. So I suppose in that sense, it, uh, yeah, I agree with Gavrilo on this. That I don't think this is a a strategic decision, like a propaganda, like a sort of like the Illuminati are are in the shadows creating this this <laughs> phenomenon. I think that it's uh, it is a it's it's it comes from um, uh, from capitalism. It's superstructure. It's superstructure on like the basis. Yeah, it's a of what's deep structure. Yeah, it's not a conscious decision. It's a structure. It happens because of the the arrangement of things, as opposed to someone at the top arranging them. If that makes sense. Well, yeah, you could have um, naturally occurring um, trends and narratives that you could endorse in a way to, and I think this is how most good propaganda does work: is you kind of promote in a system what you want to see more of and it'll create an environment or ecosystem of uh, buzzing trend words like for example the phrase in this moment uh, quote unquote in this moment uh, you know I wonder if that's a way of isolating this moment from the rest of history is that a way of um, almost yeah it's a way of obscuring what is happening now in uh capitalist United States uh, with Black Lives Matter and coronavirus as separating it from the rest of a historical trend because then we can't blame capitalism or we don't think to blame capitalism for what's resulting now. It's just an exception to it's just an exception to all of history. It's just like, oh, you know, this just occurred out of nowhere. And I mean, maybe you could say that for COVID, but not for Black Lives Matter. And mm. and in tying to that, Black Lives Matter might be a result of COVID too. But we should have prepared for COVID and had a state that was able to yeah. respond to that. But it was in the best interest of people. Um, Vietnam had basically no infected people because they... Uh, they got very scared when China got the first cases and closed down immediately. They closed down first before anyone else. But sorry, go on. Yeah, no, yeah, we should have we should have done that. But I mean, well, okay, with COVID, I just want to. This is a big aside, but uh, one thing I've always wanted to say out in public somewhere, and this will be my uh, platform here, uh, is that it's, po- <laughs> it's, it's poetic justice that uh, Americans can barely uh, think outside of their myopic self-interest to see past their nose, to wear a mask, where that mm. actual uh, that actually infects other people now. And that <laughs> shuts down all the business. Anyways, that's that's just an aside from an... Uh, so, right, yeah. right, right. Okay, uh, I have two like, things to say. I, Sorry, go, go on. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Okay, I, okay. I, I, sorry. Go, go on. <laughs> well, like, it's interesting because I think, I think, like, um all these things are related, like, Black Lives Matter, like, uh, being as like someone that participated in uh, and still does participate in that uh, um, the uh, coronavirus and I would even say hauntology are all like intrinsically related with like how mm-hmm. the way uh, the bourgeois economy like functions here and like not even just here like on a global scale you know it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting phenomenon you know all these all these things are arising and like even like the eco crisis and things all that 
does stem from, you know, the within the capitalist like circuit, you know, with the free gifts of nature input, a bunch of stuff happens, output commodity, like with that uh, going on and like without internally in the United States, because like most people like that I talk to, like in just my everyday life, don't like even really know like what capital is like from a, any sort of sense. They're like, it's money. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, so like internally, we're not even sure what capitalism is and like how it affects our lives. Right. Which is a very interesting, like, uh, like aspect of like living here, like within the Imperial core or whatever to like witness. Cause you know, you would think like, Oh, everyone would be about it. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's like, yeah, we're capitalists. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, we don't even know what that word means. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, right. yeah, does that, am I making oh, sense? Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, definitely. definitely. I think there was, it it was an article in, uh, it was an article in uh, The Guardian a few years ago. Like, uh, you know, it, it started out with saying, like, if you lived in the Soviet Union, you knew that you were living under communism. Like, it was, it said, you know, you, this, this is communism with the Communist Party, this is Lenin, here's Marx, etc. Et it, was, it was obvious, people knew. But, like, um, under neoliberalism, and I suppose capitalism by extension, is that people don't necessarily even know that they like you say they they said the people don't yeah. if you said what is neoliberalism or what is capitalism people would would not be able to explain they'd be like what what's neoliberalism what's I don't really know I mean I guess I know what capitalism is in some sort of historical sense but yeah the actual component parts of the ideology yeah. aren't like obvious or necessarily uh, uh, well because known. they don't yeah. want you to know the components yeah. of the ideology mm. it's not an ideology for the people <laughs> it's Absolutely. it's like it's like it's like postmodern modernism like in action here if that makes any sense like there is yeah. really no grand narrative like even like we kind of like know like uh, rich people are getting richer like that's kind of known by some people you know yeah. but like even that like aspect is like the purpose of capital and like uh the reason why the economy is set up the way it is like people don't like understand that it's like capitalism presents itself internally as like post ideological like this is just how this it is, just is. and this right. is just nature which we all we're all marxists here right we don't know, we all know that's not true right yeah. <laughs> so like right. so like okay. looking at like our okay yeah go ahead sorry no 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 sorry go ahead i want you to talk you didn't talk like the whole time i'm sorry for interrupting <laughs> go on Oh, you're cool. You're, you you got a lot more interesting things to say than me, I think. But anyway, <laughs> so like they presented this post ideological world and like then like all that there is, like even in like advertisements and things that like you walk outside, it's all just like like uh, kind of like messing with your mind in like a very Freudian fashion where like it messes with your subconscious and things. Right. Like, you know, you've all seen like advertisements where it's like a beautiful drinking coke. Like, you guys so, know what I'm talking about. So yeah. it's, in, it's inherently ideologically already isolated from the rest of the world. It's already encapsulated in its own self as some stagnant crystallized. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, okay. I wanted to yeah, uh, reply to you earlier to what you said. Uh, I don't think that ontology does uh, neoliberalism, current capitalism, any favors. I think it is like the first form of critique that is arriving. Only it is abstract because 
people sort of feel it, but you know they have not realized it's an ideology yet. If you understand me, I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah. something yeah. subconscious. They realize that they are lacking a future, and people are bothered by it. But it has not crystallized yet. So, like, they uh, express it through music, art, and shit. That's how it is happening. Uh, so, I think you are wrong. I think uh, it is not an attempted obscurantism. It can, it can be used long term to pacify people. But it is also, I think, uh, the only form of propaganda that we will have in the 21st century. I think that new communist propaganda will be ontological, and it will like be uh, this way it will be like look you had a future 40 years ago why don't you have a future now you know that's what i'm talking about uh, there will absolutely. be a drive to a new future yeah because yeah. what is socialism if not futurism like you can't have uh, socialism while everything remains the same while everything remains static in the in the now any sort of you know change will be progress it will be moving forwards which is always a future well, that's why that's why fucking sci- uh, sci-fi. Sorry to be so excited. Uh, sci-fi is so <laughs> shitty in our yeah yeah it, it, socialist sci-fi. That socialism and sci-fi go hand in hand. In fact, you can't yeah. even think of the future without Star Trek uh, trying to go there. But like, it, it's really obscured by just having like really just like cartoony aliens and just like these really mundane problems and postmodernism has fucking killed like the future the future has only become uh, people Mm -hmm. in spaceships shooting laser guns like you can take anything that is happening right now and you just change you know it into laser guns and hoverboards and you have like uh, contemporary sci-fi it's all shit yes it's 100% that's exactly the Mm -hmm. type of thing Mm -hmm. or it's dystopian which isn't necessarily Socialist or capitalist, but I think it, it yeah. plays more into libertarian and capitalist uh, playbook than ours. But but I, I do pose um, this as a possible um, you know propaganda. I, I don't. I'm not going to stick by that, but I do think it's possibly propaganda, uh, as I do think uh, pretty right. much. I I think you know uh, why why uh, you know are Apple's propaganda. Are Nike's propaganda? I don't know. I think about everything in those terms, but uh, <laughs> no, you're co- correct. 100%. Everything's everything's dangerous. <laughs> it lie. is, yes. But I think right. that uh, capitalism, contemporary capitalism, doesn't have a good way to use ontology. Like the best thing they can do in a dystopian way, I think. Can you give me an example? Well, I, I mean, it, I mean, in, in terms of what it actually does with futurism. So, if, if you look at like Ready Player One, is that ah, yeah. kind of just it, it fetishizes, as you said earlier, on the the moment before or around the collapse. And so, Ready Player One is it's set in a capitalist future where everyone is living. I mean, I assume everyone's seen the film, but just just for I anyone who's listening. Go on. Okay, so it's it's set in 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 not too far future where basically the majority of the human race lives in in like squatter camps sort of like shipping containers stacked on top of each other very chaotic very polluted very very dreary and dull um and everyone's just rushing to get home to put on their headset their vr headset and plug into um the great beautiful sort of digital uh virtual world that they can go and and do whatever they want and and all of the all of the stuff within that virtual world is historical so you've got like the iron giant you've got um a scene from the shining you've got uh, yeah. You know, it's all, 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 um, all nostalgia there too. So I'm, I'm more explaining as to what 
capitalism currently does with ontology or how how, it, how ontology is expressed within a capitalist sort of vision. Uh, okay. Uh, wait, I have something to add that's important uh, before I forget. Uh, it's interesting because uh, ontology, as it has appeared uh, in culture that is not mainstream, uh, like Boards of Canada, for example, it mm-hmm. is actually a sort of reaction to dystopic... Uh, dystopic media under capitalism because uh, dystopian media is not our friend actually it is another propaganda tool of capital mark fisher has said this as well like uh, mm. it serves as a vent for people that have uh, actual grievances basically you know you go to the cinema you see a dystopic movie where you know everyone is angry at this like 1984 system oppressing them they overthrow mm. the system, everyone is happy at the end, but the overthrow only establishes like the systematic values which we live in right now. They're establishing mm. themselves as libera- uh, liberation, if you understand me. And yeah. another aspect on it, like because most propaganda works on two or four lo- levels, you know, is the fact that people are frustrated with their day-to-day lives, you know, working nine to five in a shit job. They go see this movie where, like, uh, uh, the big bad guy is overthrown, the dystopia is overthrown, and it's a vent for them. They feel fulfilled. Like, you know, uh, they feel fulfilled because it has been overthrown, despite their own, you know, dystopia not being overthrown. This is the Mm -hmm. same way how uh, protests have become systematic. You know, everyone goes around, does a march, walks for blocks around the corner, and they feel fulfilled. They have done their systematic duty against tyranny. But this is all built into the system. Like, you haven't had anti-system protests since the 90s. When they do break out, like with Black Lives Matter right now, people are killed in the streets. That's how you know that things are not going according to plan. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that with all, yeah, there's been a lot of casualties. Like, yeah, <laughs> like recently here. That's crazy. Like, I want I wanted to bring up something which uh, is kind of more like a concern because we're talking about like how hauntology will like be the future of like leftist propaganda. Yes. My concern is is something like a phenomenon that like I've observed. Like, uh, in the United States, there's like a lot of like protest music and things like that. Like, um. Uh, like against the Vietnam War and like mm. uh, Bob Dylan's um, Bob Dylan comes to mind, like his older records, things of that nature. Yeah. And like looking at it like now in the future, after all that, it seems that like uh, forms of like uh, artistic expression against the system have uh, been assimilated. The, the critique of the system has been assimilated mm. into the system and like used yes. as like a means of like self reproduction. If that does, do my words make sense? Like this. Recuperation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. And like, yeah, my, my concern is, is like in the, you know, this future that hauntology is saying is like critiquing and all that stuff that hauntology will then be like in the same in historical fashion that, you know, things repeat yeah, in a certain the sense new that it will be. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the the question is, is, like, how do we, how do we, is there a way to break out of this, like, well, capitals? 
cycle there of like assimilating no its own critique into itself? There's no there way. Is, yeah, yeah. There is. <laughs> you think no, so? Oh, geez. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone has said this before. Like, uh, but this is basically um, the ideology that my theory group from my country is going off on. Basically, what we have seen uh, with the destruction of the narrative is that uh, any new movement will have to return to the narrative. It, they will have to be uh, like uh, idealists, not necessarily like idealists in the sense that Marx described, you know, idiots that went yes. like, okay, uh, because we believe so will happen, so will happen. No, I don't mean in that sense, but I mean... Uh, putting ideology before the economy, let's say. Like, uh, if you see people so, who... So, so more of like Hegel, right? What? I'm sorry. I, like, I, like... Uh, so, so like more like Hegelian philosophy, where it's like the yeah. subjective uh, interpretation of the objects before them. Does, yeah. does that make sense? Let's, yeah, let's <laughs> say that yeah. way. But like, continue. Uh, sorry, sorry. For an example, if we look uh, what... Uh, Nature, nations and cultures have like uh, defended themselves against postmodernism. It is actually like the Islamic world. It is very harsh, and like you can, uh, I'm sure nobody here would like to live under Sharia law, but we can right. uh, say that they have not lost of a future because to uh, the Muslims, their future is their God, and they have not lost this. They are, you know, they are immune from postmodernism. Now, we don't have to create a religion, and we shouldn't create a religion, but we need to create an ideology that surpasses the economy, if you understand mm -hmm. me. Because uh, mm -hmm. the old Eastern Bloc sort of fell into economism by the end of it. Uh, basically, it, it meant that socialism was uh, public schools and public like uh, housing, if you understand me. Like, if, some, if you ask somebody... What was if you ask somebody from like East ex Eastern Europe today, like ex Eastern Bloc, and you know you ask them what socialism was, they will tell you it was free housing, free schooling, and social security. You know that's what it meant to the people, but it wasn't socialism wasn't that always. Before it was far more ideological. You know during mm. Stalin and Lenin, and you know before. Right. And this is actually yeah, important. Most yeah, people no, write I, I think stuff, this is very important. important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. So, okay, it's, I'll let you finish. It's, Sorry, carry on. It's, like, uh, it's like how futurism itself, you know, I already talked about that it was an ideology that pervaded both in capitalism and communism in the 20th century. But uh, mm -hmm. futurism itself was beyond the economy. Like, uh, mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about. It presents to you basically a shining existence, you know, of human cooperation like somewhere over the horizon. Basically, whatever new socialist movement arrives, it will have to have that horizon. That's what we think so far, but we need to develop our theory more. That's mm. the thing. So I, I do think that now our conversation is going towards tactics and strategy of, of leftist movements and how to either co-opt or use ontology and overcome the the destruction of narrative, which is is which is a vitally important discussion. Like it's really, I think that's, a topic in itself, an entire discussion in itself. Um, right. So I, I guess just for the purposes of recording, I think I'll just we'll just put a natural end to the recording in a sense, but we can continue. So uh, just so that we have a, a cap piece, a stone piece to the end of the discussion, just for the sake of the recording. Right. Uh, if everyone, if does anyone have any final thoughts on this piece here just right now? We can yes. continue afterwards. One.
I have two two just points, and then we can continue. Okay. First, uh, earlier you said that basically any sort of narrative has been lost because people are so particular. You know, they focus. They're basically left ideology today is intersectional, and this has actually damaged it. But uh, actually, like in in the uh, absence of a grand narrative, people uh, basically go to micro narratives to cope. It is also how science has become subjective today. It's pretty bad. It's like how, you know, you read all these fucking articles and they always have sci uh, scientists say, but none of that shit is necessarily peer-reviewed. Or when you look at their tests, they tested it on like 10 people. Everything is becoming subjective and everything is falling under micro-narratives because a grand narrative has died. It's basically mm. the human way to cope with a grand narrative. because. Well, it's, mm. When you to conquer at, and divide, uh, you know, small demographics yeah. against each other. Yeah, exactly. Because when you look at human history, we have always had an overarching narrative in some form. Like, uh, and it's always, it's, it has always been an abstraction of man. First, it was God. And God is just an abstraction of man. Uh, and after that, you had uh, nations and futures, which are against, again, just abstractions of men. Nations are like uh, the abstraction of an idealized like national man and futurism is an abstraction of like a perfect futurist man that is you know unified the human race is at a whole mm. level if you understand me mm. and today is the first time in human history that we don't actually have like a large narrative we don't have a god we don't have nation you know in the sense that we had before nationalists today uh, don't give you like uh, a program. They don't have a program. Their program is just being anti, you know, neoliberal being anti whatever is going on right now. But they are neoliberal themselves. It's kind of confusing. So everyone basically has fled to micro narratives to cope with the loss of a large narrative. Mm. And uh, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, I think I will get scorned for this, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Basically, in uh, in let's say uh, contemporary in the contemporary culture war, war like in subcultures, internet cultures, etc., uh, the right is uh, leading compared to the left, and uh, this is because uh, the okay. right is inherently reactionary and the left is inherently progressive, which creates an interesting phenomenon. Because the right is uh, regressive, you know, reactionary, it has went to the past. But going to the past, they have found the future, if you understand me. Because in the 80s, you had futurism, but you don't have it now. But today, because we live in a sort of uh, this postmodernist existence without the future or like history, going to the future just means uh, like going forward just means uh, staying where you are. It's a treadmill, as Sanchez said before. So... Mm -hmm. uh, the the fascists have actually found a future before us. They have like uh, they have went to uh, like retro wave and ontology before the left has. They have created fascist wave, and as a reaction to this fascist wave, the left has made labor wave. You know, it's we we are always one step behind because of this current uh, what's it called? Because of this current relation we're having. It's very interesting. Mm. Mm, mm, interesting. Okay, that's very good. Thank you, Gabriela. Perfect. That's a, again, that's it. more stuff to draw from in the future. Uh, who wants to go next? 
Uh, Sean, any closing remarks? Oh, I was going to let Matthew go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, I didn't know who that was. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead, please. Oh, are you sure? You seem yes. weaker. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want you to go. I'll over talk you. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, my closing remarks, I suppose, is uh, that like we need to start like dreaming about a future that is like positive in like a leftist sense, if that makes sense. Yes. Like we're, we're so caught up in like uh, the dream of, of like the neoliberal anti-narrative world that we need to start like formulating um, our own narratives about uh, our reality that we're like all encompassing. And I think that like this would be a good like starting point for from here, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. Okay. Nice. Yeah, totally agree with that. Okay, Sean. Well, just in response. Oh, sorry, was there anything else there, Matthew? No, no, that that that's everything yeah, for me. No, that was great. Thank you, thank you, Sean. Okay, and I'll try to hurry up. Uh, okay, so just um, basically in response to what these two said, I, I just see it as in terms of just propaganda and then conditioning people as uh, reduction reductive as this is. Just you know, people are like other beings. You know, we can be conditioned. Our uh, neurons form around certain stimuli and get a conditioned Absolutely. response out of people. Uh, if we want to call it um, idealism or a meta-narrative or whatever the hell else we can call it, um, it's all going to boil down to that. And so if we could just get people to respond to the right um, uh, milieu of associations and the correct ways to have a correct response, you could use people reflexively or you can be genuine and just, you know, like, hey, yeah, this is left. This is the left. This is our program. Um, I don't know how many people are going to go on with that program, though. So maybe the way you guys are putting it is the best way to put it towards others. Um, and as far as everything else goes, uh, ontology, The Shining, we touched on that with the video games. I think we're going to only be able to escape uh, if this is the trajectory uh, of the world as it is now flattened in a kind of way. Um, then the only way to escape would be is into VR, obviously. You're not going to be able to provide people with the material, um, the real world as it, as it is. So this has been said before for many years, but, you know, you're only going to be able to sell them this glitter, glittering glasses of, of, of an existence that doesn't even exist. So it's... it's I agree it, with Sanchez 100%. Yeah, it's Especially, a more... It's a more hopeless place than we could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, like, uh, I'm working for Hasbro right now. I think I mentioned it. And we're working on this VR game. And they had to sit through some seminars about VR. Basically, all the big media companies have been uh, financing ER, you know, putting money into ER. Because uh, even though it is not profitable, they keep losing money uh, through tests, they have seen that uh, the brain reacts to uh, VR stimuli the same as it uh, reacts to in real life stimuli. It is not, mm. uh, you're not as alienated as watching at the screen. It is literally happening to right. you. So this is a greater method of control. And uh, wow. they're very interested in it. It's a literal yeah. Skinner box. But yeah, but um, yeah. Uh, and, guess, and it even works on low-res, you know, 3D models, and it, it doesn't matter. Just the fact that you're there means so much. 
Mm. Ready Player One, right? That's just exactly what it sounds like to me. Yeah, jeez. Okay. Yes. And that's, that's, that. that's it from me. Um, I guess mm-hmm. Maggie, if, if she wants Maggie? to know anything more. No, that's it for me too. <laughs> did you did you get too much on, ontology from us today? Hopefully, uh, <laughs> sold you <laughs> too many ghosts. Okay, that's brilliant. I mean, uh, oops, sorry, Maggie. I really enjoyed it. Good, that's great. Okay, cool. So I'll I'll just put it at the end of the, the conversation, I guess. Then, uh, so that's yeah, great. us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez, news writer and producer is Reggie Truman, and I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.